I'm Amber Blair. Welcome to Dermcast TV. I'm here this morning with Dr. Kevin Blasco, medical dermatologist with a focus on surgery and clinical research, has a background in pharmacology which drives his passion for antibiotics and the emerging resistance, which is what we'll be speaking about today. Thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So this topic is something that is really on the forefront of our minds now in medicine today. But before we get too far into it, why don't we take a minute and just talk about the history of antibiotics and where we've come so far. Absolutely. So before talking about antibiotic resistance, we have to really appreciate where we've come with antibiotic development and our use and now overuse of antibiotics. Antibiotics, uh, obviously penicillin was the first distributed to the public in 1943 and since the advent of penicillin, uh, we have become, I think, very reliant and over-reliant on antibiotics. So much so that even within two years of its arrival, penicillin resistance was reported throughout the country. And in fact, the resistance has become such an issue now that we cannot keep up with the pace of, um, we cannot develop antibiotics at a pace that outcompetes the emergence of new resistant infections, bacterial infections. Up to half of antibiotics prescribed are prescribed for reasons that are not necessary. They're not bacterial infections or they are um, overused in some manner through overutilization of dosage, et cetera. Um, but the, the history of the antibiotics is that um, in the 1930s, sulfonamides were actually the first class of antibiotics that, that were made available. And then penicillin, of course, came in 1943, and then penicillin was first used in World War II. Uh, soldiers were treated in the battlefield for, for infectious wounds. And this was a miracle drug. Penicillin was a miracle drug when it came out. It was saving lives unlike anything that we had ever seen in the past. And if you think about a world where we have no antibiotics, a simple scratch, a fall, you know, a break in the skin, a simple cold could be life-threatening. And people lived with this until the advent of antibiotics. And what's happened now is we have become so reliant on antibiotics and using them at such a high degree and a high pace that we are losing the um, pool of available antibiotics to treat infections. Absolutely. So what are the main factors that you think are contributing to this? So I think that it is the public perception that antibiotics are really a cure-all for any type of uh, infection. But, and by that I mean not understanding that you know, viral infections really constitute a large amount of infections that we see. And the common cold, the flu, these are all self-limited viral infections that are really not appropriately treated by antibiotics. And yet when people go to their prescriber, they are asking for antibiotics and the prescriber often treats empirically or prophylactically. So I think the overuse of the antibiotic, um, the demand by the public, and also the reliance by the prescriber, and the lack of awareness of the appropriate duration of use with antibiotics, and the desire to get better quicker. You know, we all want to get healthy as quickly as possible if, there's, if we get sick, but antibiotics are not always the answer. And so this has really been a problem that is uh, very concerning to us. It's a global health initiative. Uh, even the White House has had summits on antibiotic resistance, and CDC has said that this is a major healthcare crisis, as I said, because of the um, fear that we are going to see more and more infections that simply do not respond to any antibiotic. And we're seeing that already in the hospital settings. Um, vancomycin resistance, 
daptomycin resistance, MRSA resistance, all of these things. And so. That brings to light an interesting question as well. How do you address that patient that just absolutely knows that they have an infection and they need an antibiotic and mm -hmm. is all but angry at you if you choose a different pathway? Right, so I think that we have to really be responsible in educating our patients that the antibiotics are, for, are meant to be done for short durations, appropriate durations, when there is an active infection. But we don't want to start prophylactically treating patients uh, or extending treatment because a patient fears that their, for example, their acne might recur. The other thing that we need to do is we need to start incorporating appropriate combination therapies, topical therapies. For example, the addition of benzoyl peroxide in our topical therapies for acne helps mitigate or reduce the onset and the uh, development of antibiotic resistance. So if we treat with monotherapy, meaning we treat a patient with one antibiotic and only one antibiotic, then that bacterial resistance is unopposed, meaning that the bacteria are genetically able to very rapidly develop resistance. You know, bacteria mutate very rapidly, and this rapid mutation leads to the resistance. And we simply do not have enough new antibiotics in the pipeline or in development that can keep up with that. So, but really, uh, the, the most important thing is to explain to the patient that there are more risks than benefits of continuing antibiotic use and that we need to incorporate as I said, topical therapy and also sub-antimicrobial dosage of medicines like doxycycline that are low enough dosage that they help keep the acne, for instance, or the, you know, the breakouts uh, minimal, but also not causing these side effects. And so I try to convey to the patient that there's more harm than benefit if I keep you on the antibiotic for um, more than we need to. How do you utilize that sub-antimicrobial dosing in your practice? So I like to treat an infection as an infection. In other words, I give a full dose antibiotic for the appropriate duration. And that duration is variable. It depends on the extent of the infection and other factors. But I also believe it's important to culture wounds, culture skin infections, so we know exactly what we're dealing with. Having said that, though, I like to transition patients after they're maintained and stable to the low dosage, uh, for example, for rosacea, we have patients that are treated with sub-antimicrobial doxycycline, and we can responsibly prescribe the uh, low-dose doxycycline for long periods of time and know that we're doing this, uh, as I said, responsibly because we're not breeding or creating a resistance pattern. So again, treat the infection first, treat it when it's an infection with a full-dose antibiotic, and Treat, treat topically and orally if you can. Combination therapy is synergistic. You know, one plus one equals five. It's, it's synergistic. And so eradicate the infection, monitor the patient regularly. Don't give, you know, 10 refills on an antibiotic and then the patient never comes back. Monitor them appropriately and then transition them to uh, either off therapy completely or some topical therapy like benzoyl peroxide, which is actually not an antibiotic. It's an antimicrobial, but it doesn't breed resistance. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on the differences between a 40 milligram doxycycline per se and the 50 milligram doxycycline? So the studies show that there is a difference, that the delayed release, it's not just the, the dosage value, but the actual mechanism of the delivery into the system. So the 40 milligram sub-antimicrobial dosage of doxycycline is specially developed as a delayed release. So this slow release, there's an immediate component release and then a delayed release. This is designed to be optimal for absorption and for efficacy, and this is not the dosage that 
creates the antibiotic resistance patterns. And although it may seem like a negligible change from a 40 to a 50, the 50 milligram dosage actually does cross what we call the antimicrobial threshold, meaning that you do see uh, the emergence of uh, resistant strains. And you know, the other point to make is that antibiotic resistance is not something that occurs over many, many months and uh, patients on a medicine for six months to a year. As early as you know, a week, we can see uh, laboratory evidence of antibiotic resistance. So it can happen quickly uh, as well. Okay. So as clinicians, what advice can you give us to try and minimize the magnitude of this yes. worldwide crisis, really? So have detailed and impactful conversations with your patients. Understand that we um, will not have all these antibiotics forever and that we have to be responsible stewards of antibiotic use. We call it antibiotic stewardship. We are sailing the ship, so to speak, so we need to be in control of that uh, dynamic and really have a good dialogue with the patient and understand that we cannot misuse, overuse, or um, improperly dispose of antibiotics that can lead to contamination in the environment. For example, if you um, dispose of an antibiotic and improperly it can get into the water system and you know, up to 80% of antibiotic use in the United States is in livestock and animals and healthy farm animals and it's given to boost their uh, growth and help fight off infection. And so we need to understand the food supply is, is part of it too. Um, Check the uh, labels on your products at home. Talk to your patients about these things, milk intake, and looking at the antibiotic exposure that they, they and their family may be getting. And really understand that it's uh, really Im incumbent on us as prescribers, but also on the patients to, be, uh, to, to really understand that it's in your best interest to not be on antibiotics indefinitely. As far as in the future, coming down the pipeline, we don't have a whole lot of new options. So that's also an interesting point, is uh, people always ask me what's new in antibiotic resistance. And I think what's new is that there's really not much new in the pipeline, and that we need to understand that even if we develop a new antibiotic on a scale of 10 years for the development uh, timeline, that's, that cannot compare to a bacterium that can mutate in 20 minutes. So bacteria genetically change quickly and they can adapt much more quickly than we can keep up with, with the development of new antibiotics. Having said that, we have a few new antibiotics that have been reintroduced. Uh, for instance, ritapamulin, Altavax ointment, is, um, has uh, efficacy against Staphylococcus, for instance, and this is nice because this is uh, twice daily for, for five days, and again, we're using a topical antibiotic for a short duration of time that does not lead to uh, uh, this sort of reliance on overuse over many, many months. And so ritapamulin ointment in dermatology, I think, is one of the more important topical uh, antibiotic players in our derm space. And there are other antibiotics being developed intravenously in the hospital setting. But again, what unfortunately resistance is happening within one to two years of introduction of these IV antibiotics. You know, it's very difficult because people always assume that a patient with a rash has an infection. So in the hospital setting, the infectious disease folks are sometimes putting people, people prematurely on intravenous prophylactic antibiotics, and it's not always necessary. And that, too, is breeding resistance. So we have to look at both what we can do at a grassroots level and also just educating the public at large and also our colleagues in the hospitals. Well, thank you so much for your expert opinion on this very important topic. Thank you from Dermcast TV. We'll see you next time.